Welcome to the Thriving Birth Worker Podcast, a space for conversations about how you, the birth worker, can create not only a fulfilling and sustainable career, but a joyful and thriving life. I'm Erin Underwood, an educator, movement specialist, mother of four boys, and a total anatomy nerd. My passion is to see birth workers encouraged, supported, and empowered in their careers and life. Hello, fellow birth workers. We are a week into July of 2020, and sometimes just that feels like a success. <laughs> Everything's been crazy this whole year. Do you remember the Australia fires that started this year off? It seems like five years ago instead of six months ago that that was the beginning of the year, and it's gotten more intense ever since. 2020 has impacted our families, our communities, our ability to be with our clients, our ability to provide for our families. It's challenged our own personal beliefs, challenged us to really assess if our values line up with our actions. We're also doing all of this work physically separated from our support team. To say that 2020 has been a lot would be a gross understatement. Today, I want to chat about the power of self-care and what barriers come between us and actually practicing self-care, and why this self-care is necessary to see the world change. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I deeply love supporting the birth worker community. I see birth workers as a vital piece to the puzzle of a balanced and supported culture and community. Birth is such a vulnerable time, and being seen and heard and supported and valued during that experience is incredible. And you do that for your clients and for your communities. Honestly, it's incredible. It's so very valuable. And when it goes really well, often birth workers go unseen and unnoticed, and it's easy to not take care of ourselves. Statistically, people who are supporters often go under supported themselves. If you look at the research done with midwives, which I personally believe can apply to all birth workers, it's just that midwives have been the ones who've been studied. Anywhere between 20 and 32% of midwives experience severe burnout. And if I were to trust my gut and personal connections with my fellow birth workers and the communication I've had with them, I believe that number to be much higher. Burnout is real. And in this current climate, it is just ripe and ready to chew us up and spit us out emotionally, physically, and mentally. Before we get into the actual amazing acts of self-care, I'd like to discuss why it's so hard for us who are supporters to support ourselves. We know that we should. This is not going to be news to you guys. It's just like when you know you shouldn't eat sugar or you know you should work out. So why do we not do things that we know we should be doing. There's so much psychology that goes behind that mindset and that belief, but it boils down to that we don't do things because we know that we should. We do things because of how they make us feel. So often there are underlying beliefs that undermine us actually doing the thing that we know we should be doing too. So taking exercise, for example, we all know that we should be moving more. There's so much talk about a sedentary culture and how it's not good for us and how sitting is killing us or sitting is the new smoking. And we all know that we should be getting X amount of minutes a day or a week to be strong and healthy. We all know we should be moving more. 
we encourage our clients to move more. And whether it's just through walking or yoga or gentle exercises or stretching, when we know it has amazing benefits, we could all list them out of how amazing moving is. And yet all the while, many of us are not applying this suggestion to ourselves, the advice we give to our clients. So why is that? Because that, that can be a really frustrating cycle. And I'm raising my hand and saying I have been there. So if deep down because of cultural narratives or what you've been explicitly or inexplicitly told, you believe that exercise is a punishment, you believe exercise is to create a certain body shape, uh, you believe that because of what you ate uh, that you need to move a certain amount to basically work off the calories, if you have experienced pain or injury because of movement or exercise, or if you, when you exercise, you experience more pain or injury, if you believe all of those things are your fault and you think that because you ate something, you need to, you know, there's like basically if there's a negative connotation connected to movement in one way, shape, or form, this is going to be impacting the way that you would, you know, come to the table basically and even start thinking about it. So you're actually starting this activity or even thinking about this activity with a drained emotional bank account. So this idea that we have an emotional bank account is, I've read it in a lot of books, and it's this idea of, you know, when you put good things in, so if someone speaks really highly of you and they encourage you and they love you, um, your emotional bank account gets filled up. When someone's snarky, when someone's rude, when someone's outright mean or, you know, basically negative things can kind of pull, drain us emotionally and positive things can fill us up. So when that emotional bank account has been so drained, before you even get started, any little bit you put into it won't make much of a difference. So if you just start with like thinking one or two positive things, but you have so much even culturally coming at you that's negative around an idea, if you're gonna you you don't you're not gonna have the emotional energy to pour into that bottomless pit. So it's gonna be a really draining experience to try and it's almost like an uphill battle to just ignore everything that's going on and pretend that everything's amazing and you know that you should be exercising. So now if you do the incredibly incredibly hard work, incredibly hard reframe movement and exercise. Let's just still stay on that um, example here. So what if it is a way to reward yourself? What if movement was a way to nourish yourself? That it's a way for you to communicate and listen to your body, its needs, to meet it where it's at. And whatever effort you put in, anything from a five-minute walk to a 45-minute run, all of it is enough. And all of that movement is helping you feel nourished and invigorated rather than like a punishment. You can see it as a positive way of tapping into your hormones and feeling those endorphins surge through your body, feeling open and strong and free for the rest of the day as you've moved, noticing the aches and pains melt away. So those are the types of mindset shifts that help you move forward into seeing exercise as self-care. And when you reframe something, I'm just using exercise as an example, but when you reframe anything as self-care and then you look for ways to reinforce that, it makes a practice a lot more sustainable. 
So another huge mindset uh, shift or mindset that I just see come up so much with supporters and mothers and women in general are feeling that self-care is selfish. So it's super common. Again, we even if we know it's not, if I sit here and just talk to you all day long about how self-care isn't selfish and we can you know, cognitively all agree about that belief, but if we don't do the work of actually addressing how we're feeling about it, then we're only going to get so far. We're just going to have a conversation and nothing's really going to change. So when we feel that feeling come up, it's really interesting to kind of poke around and question and observe rather than feel bad about that feeling because that's just the way you're feeling and that's okay. I love this quote from Parker Palmer that says, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift that I was put on the earth to offer to others. So I'm a huge believer in the old adage that we can't give away what we do not have. Taking care of myself is the only way I can be fully present with my family and my community. It's the only way I can truly be connected to myself and then offer myself without having a part of myself walled off. So I'm not talking about not having healthy boundaries here at all. Healthy boundaries are amazing. If you haven't read the book Boundaries by um, Drs. Cloud and Townsend, really, really good book and I highly recommend it. But what I am talking about is I'm more referencing, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown's work, and she digs into how all of us humans are wired for connection, and that connection comes through vulnerability. And I believe that in order to be vulnerable with others, we first have to be able to be honest and vulnerable with ourselves. So you matter, you truly do. And even if you feel like you're failing in every department, you still matter and your needs still matter. In this practice of actually getting to know ourselves, actually learning how to listen to ourselves is really one of the most powerful practices that we can do. And it dramatically changes how we interact with the world. It really does. As we learn better self-care, we become better people in general. When we're in touch with our own feelings, we can then reach out so much more effectively to others and show love and empathy to them. If we are filling our own emotional tanks with self-respect and loving care, we have so much more to give to our families, friends, and the world in general. Self-care is the opposite of overwhelm. It's nourishment that you get to provide for yourself. Self-care is taking responsibility for your mental, emotional, and physical well-being and needs. It's the opposite of this damsel in distress syndrome. I just made that up. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's not, but that's what I call it. Hoping situations or people will change so that you no longer have to be overwhelmed. That's a huge trap we fall into, and I am raising my hand over here. So, self care is not something that has to be triggered by overwhelm. That's another belief. Something that you can only do once or twice a year when you feel on the edge of burnout is not sustainable. So self-care is a way to recharge your systems like you recharge your phone. So self-care is not this guilty pleasure, but a vital part of your wellness plan. And that means it's integrated a lot more often than just waiting until you're, you know, feel like there's one last straw that you can give before everything breaks. (laughs) The aspects of life that improve our total well-being include focus and energy and sleep. And it's just completely 
it's intertwined into every area and relationship that we have. And so it's really interesting that we feel like we can wall off this part of our heart and that we can reach the edge of burnout. We can reach this emotional exhaustion. We can reach this uh, overwhelm place and we think we can put it in a box and that it won't affect the other areas of our lives, that it won't affect our relationships, that it won't affect um, our ability to show up for our clients, to impact and advocate for our communities. And yet really, we are not, we are one body. And I talk about this a lot. I talk about it with movement. I talk about with everything that I teach. We are so drawn to this idea that we can put things in boxes and that they won't touch each other. But if you are on the edge of burnout or in the middle of burnout, it is impacting every area of your life. It's impacting your sleep. It's impacting your health. It's impacting your relationships. It does impact everything. And so to at least be realistic and honest with ourselves, not in a depressed way, like, oh man, my whole life now is falling apart. And I think that's why we gravitate towards that putting things in boxes mentality because it feels more manageable. But on the flip side, when we realize that everything impacts each other and that the small things matter, they really do, and we can celebrate them, then it doesn't have to be this massive overwhelm of every area of my life is falling apart. It's more this one tiny thing that I did for myself today. I'm going to choose to recognize that that's going to impact every area of my life and not dismiss the small things. And we're going to get into some practical things here in a minute. So I think it's really important to note, though, that mindset shifts take time. You're not going to listen to this podcast or a TED Talk or read an amazing book, and your mindset's going to go from zero to 100 on any topic. And I don't think we ever arrive on our growth path ever. But retraining your brain takes time and attention, and it takes repetition and falling and failing and trying again. But you and your health are worth it. So how? Do you actually practice self-care in the real world where we don't often have, you know, an extra week or an extra weekend to just take off and do this whole long list of things that we feel would be nourishing for ourselves? So there are many different camps and lots of paid advertisements to help shift our beliefs about what self-care is and how much it has to cost us and how much time it has to take. Everything from manicures to bubble baths to long, luxurious weekends away, are they're what it's pushed to us as self-care. And here's the tricky part. Self-care is going to be different for each and every one of us and even different from one point in time to another for the exact same person. So here's my on-the-cuff definition of self-care. Self-care supports you emotionally, mentally, and physically, your well-being, so that you can show up for yourself and, of course, others, more fully you, more full of joy and peace. So again, you're not showing up as the perfect you or perfectly at peace or perfectly full of joy, but just more so because it's a journey. So something sometimes that means I'm going to be doing things that are uncomfortable. So here's an example of what I'm doing right now. And guys, this is this is so silly. It seems silly. Um, I am practicing cold water therapy, which means I am taking a cold shower once a day for the month of July, the entire month, every single day. Why would I do something crazy like this, guys? This is just, I laugh and shake my head, even though I'm the one doing this. So there's a few <laughs> benefits of cold water therapy. 
It helps with depression. It helps with emotional regulation. It helps with inflammation. It helps with um, mood. It helps with energy. There's just a huge long list. If you're at all interested, I do a little bit of research. You can look up Wim Hof or you can just research cold water therapy and there'll be a really long list of benefits for practicing this idea. Uh, Immune support as well, immune systems. So I am in a month that is extremely busy. I am launching a course. I'm offering some workshops. And as I look at my schedule, as I was in like towards the end of June and I was looking at the schedule for July, I just kept hearing myself saying things like, oh my gosh, July is going to be so stressful. Oh man, it's going to be so much work. Like I heard these little negative beliefs starting to slip out and I didn't want to stay there for an entire month. Like it's okay to, for me, like I'm fine with letting myself have a pity party and like feel overwhelmed for a day and then figure out a way to pull myself out of that. But I could hear myself having these beliefs like, oh, I'm going to be stuck there for a month if I keep thinking these thoughts. And so I know about cold water therapy. I practiced it before and it's um, been really beneficial for me. But then I got out of the habit. I was like, I don't want to because it's cold. (laughs) Who wants to be cold? But I was like, is this really a practical and accessible tool that doesn't take that much time? So it takes me an extra, about 10 minutes a day to do a nice warm shower. And then I stand in the cold shower for about four minutes. So from start to finish, I get all warmed up and um, scrubbed up a little bit and then blasted to cold and practice my breathing so that I can uh, regulate my nervous system stay down regulated and experience these benefits. So that is a very uncomfortable form of self-care for myself because again, I am not attaching it to the actual experience, but afterwards I get lots of energy. I am feel I feel really emotionally supported and regulated. So I have in the past and I am a very aware of my own journey with depression. And so when I'm coming into a month where I'm feeling like I have the potential to go from overwhelmed into depression, that I want to pull out all the tools that I have that are accessible to me. So again, this month is not a month where I can uh, do an hour long or an hour and a half like movement practice because that's what I would love. Like if I could pick anything to self-regulate and to feel really good in my body, I would probably have 90 minutes a day to stretch and move and get my heart rate up and then do some nice long psoas release. And I'd feel amazing afterwards. But when I look at the schedule this month, it is not going to happen. It's not accessible to me. So rather than like being upset that I can't do that form of self-care, I am choosing this other form of self-care, which is not comfortable, but I'm feeling really supported. So just something to think about where I would say self-care, it's got to be accessible to you in the moment. And there have been times where cold water therapy would have been just too much for me. But now I do have the emotional energy to do something uncomfortable for the desired outcome to feel supported. And cold water therapy is a pretty immediate response as far as you feel good, like right away. It's not like you eat healthy and you have to eat healthy for like a month before the cravings go away and you start feeling good in your body. So that's been really good for me. So after practicing more and more, you will find your non-negotiables in your life. And finding your non-negotiables 
that make you feel really good and bring you joy. So I have to move daily. That's a non-negotiable for me. So the time is going to change based off of my schedule, but I do have to move every day. And it's not about my appearances because I don't have the energy to care about that too much, but it's more about the experience in my body when I just don't start feeling, when I start feeling more and more physically uncomfortable and cranky as the days go by. So I have a SI joint that will act up and cause me to be in quite a bit of pain. And I see my movement as a form of daily nourishment. So very similar to eating. So eating every day is a non-negotiable and so is my movement habit. So it's not super intense or extreme and the time fluctuates based off of my schedule. Like I said, this month, it's probably like 10 to 15 minutes a day. It's really not a whole lot and it's kind of broken up sometimes into little bits. But I also find rhythms that serve me really well and leave me feeling good in my body. This journey leads you into knowing and understanding yourself better and better. So, hi, I'm Erin. I'm an introvert. So I'm an introvert who lives with five boys and a dog. I'm an introvert who lives with my husband and four boys and a dog. And I homeschool the boys. And I work from home with my husband. (laughs) And when I'm not mindful of how I am wired, I start to feel off and cranky and like everything is wrong without any explanation. And when I slow down and I realize I haven't had any alone time lately and it all starts to make sense, then I get to communicate to my husband my needs. We schedule it and we make it happen. So last week, my husband took the kids on a long hike for the whole afternoon and evening so I could be alone. And it was beautiful and amazing and fulfilling. And it wasn't selfish. It was self-care. And in turn, I get to support my husband in his needs as well. So finding a community of people, even if it's not a partner, but finding a friend, finding someone, and it doesn't have to be an all day, everything day type of thing, but finding that community is so valuable of who will help support you in your needs. I also noticed that my personality tends to take a while to shift gears. So meaning if I'm in work mode, it takes me some time to transition out of it. If I'm in mom mode or date mode or really anything, when I'm in that zone, it's takes me a little bit of time to get out of that zone. So when I come home from being with a client or from an appointment, I need to sit in my driveway for just like a minute or two to basically transition from whatever I was doing to walking into the house and being a present mom and wife and whatever is going on in that world, whether I have to jump into making dinner right away or whatever it is, I just need that few, like a minute or two to just kind of get into that that place in my mind, kind of that mindset. And my family used to rush the car because they were so excited to see me. Now on the surface, that sounds really sweet. But internally, I'd start to feel cranky because I felt like my transition time got taken away from me. And I was able to explain my need to my family. And while all of them didn't fully get it, like personally, they don't necessarily need that transition time. They respect me and now they can rush me at the door after I've shifted into being at home in the car. And it's been really a nice transition for me. So that may not make any sense to you personally, like it doesn't to all my family members, but the idea of noticing what causes you stress and asking yourself why, and then communicating your needs to yourself and others is hugely empowering and supportive. So this is part of this idea of doula-ing yourself which was covered a few episodes back. I just did a whole episode on it. So if you're in a place of needing some extra support, you can hop on back to that episode after you finish this one. 
So I like to compare these things to babies because we all get that language. When a baby is fussy, we kind of go through this mental checklist really quickly and almost automatically now with being in this world for so long. It's just automatically. Is the baby hungry or thirsty? Is the baby tired? Needs sleep? Is the baby overstimulated? Is the baby constipated or needs a diaper change? Or is gassy? Or has a stuffy nose? Or needs love and attention? Needs to be held and heard? Needs to play and giggle? So there's this basic set of human needs that we all have. And babies have a really uninhibited way of expressing that they have a need that isn't getting met. They don't necessarily have the words to articulate exactly what it is, but they can express that there's a need that's not getting met. And then we can kind of go through this checklist and try and help together in a partnership, whether it's us supporting the mom and figuring this out, or we are the one who's trying to figure out what that need is. And we can go through this dance, almost this back and forth and try and dial it in what's going on with baby and how can we support that human being. So sometimes we need to offer that exact same detective work that is with grace that is offered to a baby. So sometimes we don't always know why we're off. We don't always know why we're at that point of feeling cranky, of feeling overwhelmed, of feeling just complete exhaustion that's deeper than a physical exhaustion. And when with kindness, we can start gently going down that checklist with ourselves to figure out one, are our basic needs getting met and our emotional needs and our physical needs. And we can slowly start dialing that in. It's a really powerful place to start nourishing ourselves with that self-care. So even if drinking enough water throughout the day isn't going to fix everything, sometimes it's like, well, I just, I know that's a good place to start. Like it's not, it's not that hard. I know I can do it. And then as we start this relationship of trying to dial in exactly what's going on, we become more and more nuanced in the language of understanding what's going on with ourselves. And when we start feeling off, when we start feeling uh, that level of crankiness or anxiety or whatever it is that rises up within us, it could be anger. It could be um, any really strong emotion that we're like, oh, that's curious. Why is that there? We can start to kind of find that area of nourishment and start to hold our own hand and walk us through, you know, to that place of more nourishment, I guess. (laughs) So often we find uh, we need nourishment and it's easy to feel overwhelmed and wish that someone would hold our hand and walk us through what it really looks like in a really practical way. So I'd like to tell you about a free one hour workshop that I have coming up that does just that for the physical side of things. So your physical body matters, caring for your body while you serve your clients can have a tremendous positive impact on how you experience living in your body and your ability to show up for your clients. So understanding how to support yourself while you're attending a birth or even driving in your car to see a client, utilizing the time you're already working to pay attention and to support your body is really powerful. So I'd love to have you join me for my free one-hour workshop. It's three powerful movement habits for birth workers. So we'll do a little bit of anatomy education. We'll move together. I will do a Q&A where we get into all your questions. It's going to be quick, effective, and super fun. And yes, there will be a replay because I totally understand the on-call life. I am so excited to have you join me. So I have July 
15th and 16th. They're going to be the same workshop, but just two different time options. You can come on over to the thrivingbirthworker.com and find the link to register under the show notes from today's episode to save your seat. So let's make this whole topic of self-care actionable because that's how we're going to see change, right? So what is one thing you're going to do for self-care this week? And guess what? Signing up for my workshop counts. (laughs) So if that, if you feel stuck, that's a super easy option for you to start out with. I am grateful for you and your support, birthing community. I'm so grateful for you and your support to the birthing community. I'm grateful to have you as a part of the thriving birth worker community and grateful to be spreading the belief that birth workers don't have to just survive, but we can thrive. I am here cheering you on and am honored to support you on your journey. Talk to you soon. The information and discussion provided on this podcast are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, you should consult with an appropriately licensed physician or healthcare provider.